Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. My guest today is Ariel Seidman, who is the CEO and founder of a company called HiveMapper. Um, based in the US, primarily to date focused on the US, but now also uh, coming to Europe. HiveMapper is, as I understand it, and this may, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking to you, Ariel, to correct me in a sec, but um, you're basically mapping the world. Uh, you're, you're, you're coordinating the, a team, or an, uh, a, a crowdsource map of the world, primarily around using dash cams. Is that right? That's 100% right. So, um, yeah, basically, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I'm excited uh, to dig in with you. Um, yeah, so the basic idea is we're building a global map of the world. Um, and the way it works is you buy this dash cam. Um, the dash cam then kind of has, you know, in addition to all the imagery, just like very high precision location data or positioning data. Um, it automatically gets uploaded. So it's a very like seamless experience. Um, and then we take all of that imagery and we transform it into map data, right? So what does that mean? That means is we extract out all the objects. So is that a stop sign? Is that a traffic light? Is was the speed limit sign? You know, how many lanes are on this road? All that kind of information. Um, there are the other way you can also contribute and build this map with us is also by map editing. Uh, and then all of that data then gets wrapped up into a set of mapping APIs that we then um, sell to customers. So that's kind of the you know, a very, very, very high level, the end-to-end -end process in terms of how it works. Right. So let's dig into all that. So uh, this is a specific dash cam that you manufacture or you have manufactured or I can use my own dash cam or, or how, how does the process work? So yes, it is a dash cam that we designed and built um, and it is very much optimized for the purposes of mapping. Um, it also happens to be a great dash cam, right? A lot of people buy dash cams in general um, for a whole slew of purposes related to insurance and privacy and security and so forth. Um, so you can use it as a, it doubles as a great dash cam, but when we approached it, we said, hey, there are specific things that we need from a mapping perspective. So let's go through those. So the imager, the, the camera on it, has to be able to have a wide field of view, right? Because we don't want to just have you know, what exactly what's in front of you. We also want to see the sides of the streets, right? Like what's a sidewalk? Are there any parking restrictions? What's the name of that business? Um, and that the pixel quality at the edges need to be as good as the pixel quality in the center of the image, right? The second thing that we needed was highly accurate positioning data. Um, and I think this is a place where a lot of the previous crowdsource projects went awry a little bit, where the positioning accuracy of the solution was you know, quite frankly, pretty poor. Um, how, how do you do that with, thing, with GPS or your, your cellular networks or how, how are you establishing the position? So, I, I mean, what so, are you doing that's different than others? It's a good question. Let me, let me, let me go back to that. Cause that's probably like the, one of the more important areas, but I want to just quickly um, uh, talk about location verification um, because there are these kind of rewards associated as an incentive mechanism for contributors you could imagine people trying to spoof their location, right? Um, I mean, this happens in a lot of crowdsource systems, right? Where people try to um, maybe act with not the best intentions in the world. <laughs> and so what we've done is there's location verification built in 
to the actual hardware layer itself. Um, both all the GPS coordinates are encrypted. Um, so you can, it's really hard to like submit false um, data uh, in terms of your GPS coordinates. Um, and also we are like, let's say you're driving around, we use this thing called helium. And the basic way it works is like, if you and I are both driving around, we should see all the same helium hotspots. These are fixed locations. Um, and if we don't, then one of us, you know, we both say, Hey, we're collecting in Los Angeles today. Right. Or let's say like Santa Monica to be more specific. And we are you know, both traveling in the same basic roads in Santa Monica. If we're not seeing the same hotspots, then one of us is probably acting nefariously. So that's the location verification. That's a really important component um, because otherwise customers will not trust the data. Uh, and it only takes one or two bad actors to really kill trust, as we know. Wait, so, so uh, you, uh, a lot uh, of things I want to get into there. So, I mean, first of all, it sounds like technical innovation on the hardware and, and these location verification algorithms. But you mentioned also the kind of, um, you know, the business model, the compensation of the driver. So explain that a bit. Give us yeah. the background on that. Yeah. So the basic thing that I was really, you know, I've been around the mapping world for a while now. And while I think crowdsource systems are amazing in many ways, um, and I think crowdsource systems you know, for maps specifically is the perfect use case. Now, with that said, though, is I believe that, you know, let's talk about Waze, right? So Waze, when they ultimately got acquired by Google for what was it, like a billion or 1.3 billion, um, look, the investors made out as they should, the employees made out as they should, because they put a lot of hard work into it and it's a very valuable service. But that product would not exist without all of these map editors, right, helping to edit the map. There's about 30 or 40,000 of them, according to Wall Street Journal, as well as all of our data contributions, right? And I think that's wrong, right? Especially, especially for the map editors, right? Many of those people were spending hours every single day tediously editing the map. And so I looked at that and said, that's wrong, right? All the economic incentives of all the different participants was not aligned. Okay, so that's where I started. And then I said, okay, look, with something like crypto, um, you can actually align all of the economic incentives of all the different participants. So what does that mean is that as you're contributing to the map by either driving with a dash cam or editing the map, um, really training our AI systems, I should be a little bit more specific, you are effectively helping build a map. And that's really valuable, right? And so you earn this cryptocurrency of ours called Honey. There will only ever be 10 billion Honey tokens um, created. And that then says, you're, it's a little bit you know, fuzzy in terms of what you call it. I refer to it as like ownership in quotation marks, right? But then as people start to use the map, you then effectively start to earn uh, based upon the usage of the map. So that's a so the more the more I drive like per per kilometer per mile or whatever or per minute or something I'm accruing credits is that kind of how it's working It's at a, at a high level yes but I want to be like a little bit more cautious there because it's not based upon pure road kilometers the reason if it was based upon pure road kilometers then people would just like drive in circles all day long and it wouldn't really help you build a map so it is very much incentivizing unique road co coverage, I right? See. Like if a bus, 
attaching this to a bus would be a bad idea because <laughs> the bus just goes all the way back and forth and does the same route, you know, five times a day. Um, attaching this to a FedEx truck, attaching this to an Uber, you know, if you tend to like, you know, I mean, look, if you just go to the grocery stores like once or twice a week, right, like and, and you know, do a couple errands to the same three or four places every single week and you only drive, you know, a couple hundred miles a, uh, a month, this isn't for you, quite frankly. Okay. But, so this you know, is more professional drivers, truck drivers and delivery drivers. That is that your target audience mainly? Like, uh... um, yeah, but also like people who commute, like, you know, people like we hear a lot of people who are in sales who do this, right? right. So they're like going around for parts of the city. Uh, I commute about an hour, about 45 minutes each way. Uh, and then on the weekends and even throughout the week, I'll take different meetings or, you know, take my kids to different events and stuff like that. So for me, it works. Um, but I do think that like, you don't want to think about this as like, oh, I drove a hundred kilometers today. Therefore I will earn exactly this amount and I should earn the exact same amount tomorrow if I drive a hundred kilometers. Okay. And give us, give us a sense of the scale of this. How many people have these dash cams or how many, how many, I, don't, I have no idea how many how many miles or kilometers have you covered or how big is this? Yeah. So we launched in November um, and we're now uh, up to almost 2 million unique road kilometers on a global basis, um, which is about, you know, if, if you most people think there's roughly 60 million road kilometers. So over 3% of the global road network. Um, we did some calculations based upon just publicly available data. If you compare us to like the launch of Google Street View, we're growing five times faster than they did in the first, you know, four months. And I think that'll pick up. Um, so yeah, it's growing and it's growing really, really nicely. Um, you know, we, we've now kind of taken, you know, people were like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's, it's growing really fast. It is growing really fast. We were not surprised by it because we had built a previous version of kind of what you see today using a third-party dash cam. The third-party dash cam had all these issues, right? Like people start to spoof their location. Uh, you know, the APIs to access all the data was, wasn't really good because it was a third-party, you know, and they they, you know, they they didn't want us accessing their APIs as the short version. And so we were kind of hacking into their, black, into their dash cam. Um, you know, the location data wasn't great. And so but what we saw, nevertheless, even with all those issues, was that the thing was just growing, right? And it was like growing, like just leaps and bounds, and it was pretty awesome. And we felt like, okay, if we can make the experience like much easier, much more passive, and increase the quality of the data, which we have now with our dash cam, then, then we're really going to be on to something. What is, what is the main motivation for the people who, who are signing up for this? It's it's financial or it's they, they want to feel like they're contributing or they, they just want a good dash cam that they, yeah. they get the data from or, or what? So this is like, this is fascinating. I think there's a lot, I mean, it's not one size fits all. Um, so there's definitely a set of people who come in there thinking like, Oh, I'm going to earn like a ton of honey and think, you know, um, which is, a, which is our cryptocurrency. Um, or I should say crypto token is probably the better term. And, I think that, you know, that is an initial motivation. But what you also hear from these people is like, oh, I now feel useful, right? I'm going about my day. I'm an Uber driver. I'm a truck driver, whatever it is. As I start to look at the map and I see now what I've helped, you know, cover, provided coverage for, I feel really useful, right? So right. I turn something which is maybe a little bit more mundane 
And I feel like I'm a part of a larger, you know, project that's happening all over the world. And I am, I'm, I'm, I'm adding to it. Right. And so I do think that sense of purpose is really, really strong. Um, and I think also people just have fun with it. Right. I think like, and we try to make it fun and enjoyable. And I think we're going to continue to add to that. Um, so one idea that we're kind of playing around with is that, um, you know, basically like the map, like the maps are kind of made up of these little tiles. And so you can imagine like kind of Pac-Man, you know, as you go and as you're providing coverage, okay. it's like eating the little tiles kind of thing. So we try to make it fun as well. So it's a mixture of different motivations. Who, what, what can I, can, can other, can non-drivers see this map or how, how the map is then sold to yeah. customers or where do I see the map on your website? I can see the map or. Yeah, so there's an API right now that anybody, uh, so there's an API is the short version, uh, and anyone can play around with the API. It's very simple to use. Um, and there's a whole bunch of like developers now who have kind of built visualizations utilizing the underlying imagery, uh, and then and now soon the object data as well. And is that, is that, is that the business model? The, then to use the API, people pay money. Is, is that, and exactly. so, yeah. so if I wanted to build a navigation app or something on this data, which presumably uh, you can make the case that it's the freshest data or, uh, and thus, um, okay, got it. Yeah. Wow. So exactly. a lot of, there are a lot of pieces to the, a lot of layers to the onion here. <laughs> okay. Very yeah. cool. So the, the, you know, there's two sides of Google Maps, which people don't realize a lot, which is there's the consumer side where they have billions of people using Google Maps, you know, on their phone or, or on their desktop. And they monetize that, obviously, through various ad products and other means as well. Yeah. So you are effectively the product, right, when you're using Google Maps. Um, and then the other side of it is the uh, APIs that they sell to businesses, right? So. Sure. You know, Uber pays, you know, Uber pays them, you know, Yelp pays them. I mean, you just go down the list. I mean, people, if you tried, you know, if you said to yourself, I'm never going to use Google Maps on my phone or on my computer, you are still interacting with Google Maps many, many, many times per week by just utilizing all the various services that you use on a daily basis. Sure. And is your focus, obviously right now it's, it's very focused on driving and, and vehicles and, and vehicle routing, and that's a huge market, but do you intend to also expand to, to the general consumer mapping case, or is it you're you're very focused on on vehicles and transport? Yeah, we we will expand to consumer navigation. So, like, um, we'll do that first with for people who are contributing with a dash cam. We'll start to like surface up value added um, data that's fresher than you know what you get from the native navigation app. We will do that for sure. Um, I mean, look, I don't think there's been a ton. I think Apple Maps has done some actually some interesting things. But I mean, Google Maps and for that matter, Waze, it really hasn't changed that much over the last 10 years. Um, it's effectively the same thing. And, you know, you could imagine a world where you like you're just dealing with much fresher data, uh, especially from an imagery perspective, that you can dramatically change the navigational experience. And so I think that we're, we're excited to do that. I mean, we're still in the build the map phase, right? Before we are, when I say like collect the data, process the data, like that part of it, before we start to get into like, okay, let's really start to integrate this data in a way that makes a lot of sense for both the businesses and the, and the consumer. But I think there's a ton of innovation that is hasn't happened yet. Right. 
So obviously we've mentioned Google many times here and there, the, the, you know, the, the biggest player in consumer mapping, and of course they owned Waze. How do you see um, some of the other players, though, like most specifically Meta, who with their uh, Mapillary product, which I guess you know, in many ways is somewhat similar to what you're describing. I mean, it's not, not exactly the same, or it was once similar. I, I, it, I don't know what, how exactly it's evolved under Meta, but kind of a similar idea, right? In that people are contributing their dash cam footage and and then from that, they're kind of creating the map. Is that a kind of direct competitor to you or not really? Or how do you, how do you see this? Um, well, a couple of things. I think that Mapillary, I have a lot of respect for the team. You know, um, I think they started that project in like 2010 or 2011. You know, Jan, Eric, who, who started that. And like, there's just up and down that team is like just technically very, very strong team. And I think they... They did a lot of innovation there. Um, I think there's a couple things that I think are distinctive in terms of Hive Mapper. One is that the hardware component, and you know, we didn't just like build hardware because we're like, hey, we want to build hardware. <laughs> you know, um, we built hardware because we really felt like the positional accuracy in things like Mapillary that relied upon um, um, you know Android devices as well as iPhone devices was just not there. Right. Um, and so I think the positional accuracy was really, really critical for us in making the collection experience really, really passive. Like if you if you take your Android device out or even for that matter, iPhone, and you drive down Highway 5, and I've done this, I've tried this, Highway 5 in California, you know, from San Francisco to LA, and you put your phone on your dashboard and you start collecting video, within 30 minutes, um, your phone will turn off because it just gets too hot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so you have this like fundamental issue where the collection experience around something like Mapillary was never really easy and passive, and nor was the positional accuracy really. No, there. yeah, it, it always felt a little, it, it, you know, it, it felt very hackerish, you know, like like guys at the cutting yeah. edge at the, um, which I guess was just a product of the time we're in. I could definitely see the yeah. value of having, you know custom-made hardware that is specifically built for this task. I mean, it just must be an absolute tsunami of data that's coming at you then every day, right? How are you? It's a lot. It's, yeah, there's a lot, for sure. I mean, what we're working on right now is moving more and more of the processing to the actual dash cam itself and or to your phone. Um, such that for a couple of reasons, one is we don't really need every single image that's collected. Um, so there's like a motion model that basically determines which frames that we want from the, Im basically from the imager. Um, so that, that's really important because otherwise you're right. Like you'll just get like inundated with data that you just don't need. And then the second thing is doing some of the, uh, privacy blurring and also the object detection. So that basically means is recognizing that the speed sign of, you know, 25 miles per hour, you know, that's a stop sign, all that kind of information, doing all that processing at the edge. So there may be a lot of situations where we ultimately don't have to actually upload all the imagery. Well, that's, that was a good point. I was going to ask about um, the whole privacy aspect to it because, you know, particularly here in Europe, uh, like in Germany, the whole situation with Street View, it, it's it's very, yeah. you know, it's, it's such a, what do you call that? Like a, you know, it's such a, like a no-go topic where it, 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 we've reached the point where people can't 
converse about this in any kind of rational way, right? Like, you know, that like, obviously I can go to any street and look at any house, but you're not allowed to take a picture of it and put it on the right, internet, yeah, yeah. things like that. So there are some things that don't make sense. But on the other hand, it, it is also kind of worrying when you when we see the power of, uh, you know, video, video facial recognition and things like that. And, and when you think about how yeah. what 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 could be possible or possibly what is already possible. So in terms of, yeah. you know, you really could, you know, capture all kinds of information about people, about children, about the, the which, you know, yeah. it does kind of make you feel a little uneasy. How do you guys handle that? Yeah, it does. I- I mean, I'm I'm very much on the side of like in, in this regard from a data privacy perspective. I guess I'm I'm more in line with some of the the European uh, values. Um, I think some of the ways that the European legislation has gone about is a little bit clumsy and awkward. But no, I do think that there's a lot of opportunities to infringe upon people's privacy. Um, I mean, I, the, the, I guess the funniest thing I think is like these, uh, you know, national security agencies, like, uh, I forgot the name of France's, you know, version of the CIA or NSA, but you know, if you try to go look it up in Google maps, last time I tried in terms of location, it's all blurred as like, out. Yeah. guys, like, <laughs> like, you know, if you're a bad guy and you want to go figure out like what it looks like, I'm sure you can figure it out. Right. Like, <laughs> And by the way, you probably call more attention to yourself by like, you know, privacy blurring, you know, your house or, you know, this location or your building, whatever it is, because all of a sudden people are like, "Ooh, what's that, you know? Um, and so, no, I, we take privacy really seriously. So let's talk about some of the things that we try to do or that we are doing. One is that all the privacy blurring um, has been moved to the actual dash cam and or your phone, right? So in other words, what does that mean? It means this. Hive Mapper Inc. Um, is never like once the imagery makes it up to Hive Mapper from a cloud perspective, we do not retain uh, imagery that has not been privacy blurred. I mean, there could be mistakes. I want to be like really clear about that. Like we miss somebody's face or whatever it is. And obviously we're, you know, improving the algorithms to go through that. They're, I, I think they're good and they're getting better. But like, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of the imagery that we ultimately have has already been privacy blurred by the time that it actually resides on HiveMapper servers. Um, so that, that's really important. The second thing is, as a contributor, we don't want to know who you are. Like, we do not ask for any private information about you. Um, all, you're, you're assigned an anonymous uh, username that you cannot change. Um, and all of that username, once it kind of goes, all the data goes through a QA process, it's automatically deassociated with all of the data that's ever been collected. Um, like if you go to MapleRay today and a lot of other crowdsource systems, you can see who contributed what, right? Like that does not exist at all in HiveMapper. Um, and then the, the other thing is for Europe specifically, when you do deploy this dash cam, we ask that you place a placard to indicate to everybody around you that you are collecting imagery. Um, and so there's kind of multiple layers that we try to do there to respect the local laws and the local rules. Well, I think this is one of those things that, you know, the technology has just moved much faster than cultural norms. But the reality is, I mean, as we see now, you know, everything is always being recorded, be it, be it by CCTV, be it by dash cams, be it by people on their phones or whatever. 
I mean, that's just, it's going to be very rare to be in places where things are not recorded or, or at least have the potential to be recorded. So, yeah, yeah, it's fair. You know, obviously that has some, some weird implications and, but I suspect it's just the kind of thing where society will have to adjust to this, um, for better or worse. I mean, just that, you know, the cat is out of the bag. So, yeah. Um, so we spoke that that today. I guess you're you're based in the U.S. Your team is in the U.S. and and, and most of the the contributors and and usage is in the U.S. But but now you're going global. Is that right? Or uh, or you already have people outside of the U.S. or, or you already have contributors? In, yeah, in yeah. Europe, if you go, if you go to highgapper.com, you just go. You hit the explore. Um, that will show you the coverage map, so you can see where all the coverage is. So it, it certainly grew. It start, you know, from the launch date that we did, it was November fourth of last year, so November twenty twenty two. Um, we uh, let's see. Um, U.S. definitely took off the first. There was no doubt. There's no doubt about that. And it was like all the typical regions grew. You know, like New York and L.A. and Chicago and Miami and Austin and San Francisco Bay Area start to grow very rapidly. Um, and then Europe, right? So Europe, specifically the regions that are growing rapidly now is places like Lisbon, uh, Amsterdam, Paris, UK, uh, specifically London. So yeah, EU is very important to us um, and now growing faster. Um, you know, the big challenge for us, quite frankly, is going to be like places, you know, look, the Londons and the Parises and, you know, even the Madrids and the Lisbons and Amsterdams, they'll get taken care of. And so we don't have to exert that much energy in terms of really driving coverage there and doing, you know, PR and marketing in other places. But, you know, the, the harder cities is a place like Marseille, you know, Marseille, France, um, you know, it's obviously not as technology leaning forward as a place like Paris or London, uh, but it's also very important, right? I think, what is it, the second or third largest city in France? Um, and so I think those would be the hardest cities for us. Do you, do you have any estimate, though, of how many, what percentage of, you know, it's not like you need every car to have this, right? Probably one in, one in a thousand is enough, right? Or, or I don't know, maybe, yeah. that. maybe I'm wildly uh, off. Yeah, you so. definitely have right? Yeah. Uh, like LA is a pretty good example. Uh, I think there's like 300 or 400 drivers in LA that are active. Um, but definitely like we'd love more. Right. And, and so LA is about 120,000, um, unique road kilometers, which is quite large. Um, and we think that we probably like in order to get it to, it's like a steady state where it's just, you know, updating and refreshing at a good cadence. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this buzz feature that we just launched. Um, you probably need like a thousand to like two thousand drivers in a in a region like LA. Um, LA is a little bit unique, um, so it really depends on like which layer of the map, right? If you're just trying to get you know lane lane definitions, um, all the street sign objects, you know the names of the addresses, the names of businesses, that kind of information, um, you know there you probably want to be updating every couple of months. Um, but there's this other layer, which is like, you know, basically like Waze reports, right. Which is effectively traffic construction. So it's almost accident. real time. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, it is exactly. real time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. for that, you probably need more. And how do you and go so to market? Want, 
I mean, are you are you targeting like I have no idea, trucking companies or taxi drivers or or you're just is this kind of just self service via the website? Whoever comes comes or how are you, how are you getting the word out? Yeah, there's there's kind of multiple things that are going on. So one is the crypto community is definitely like very into Hive Mapper. They are on, um, you know, they're on Twitter a lot. They talk a lot, so they've been very helpful in terms of just you know helping spread the word. There are now like more and more, you know, folks like myself, like mapping geeks getting involved as well, because it is fun. You do feel like the sense of fulfillment. Um, and, you know, we do think it's quite different than things like Waze or for that matter, OpenStreetMap, right? So it's a kind of a different mode of contributing, you know, like I think there's an opportunity for people to kind of rethink the economic alignment and financial alignment um, aspect of it as well. And then, um, yes, we do go after fleets as well. Right. Not like we're not going after the massive fleets today. We're not going after the fleets of, you know, I don't know, like FedEx is a massive fleet. Right. Obviously, uh, even Pepsi is like 70,000 vehicles or something like that. Um, so that's probably too big for us. But we're looking for like 100 vehicles. Right. Or even like 30 vehicles. So like a pest control business, a lawn fertilizing business. Um, you know, laundry delivery business. Like they maybe have like 20, 30 vehicles running around town. Um, and then the third part of that is like there are people, there's they're effectively, you know, these these very savvy, you know, hustling entrepreneurs, and they say, okay, I'm gonna buy 10 dash cams, 20 dash cams. I'm gonna again though go and recruit, you know, these Uber drivers or these Lyft drivers. And I'm going to give them a free dash cam, okay? And then I'm going to split the honey tokens that they earn, right? So the driver maybe gets, you know, 50% and, and I get the other 50%. So the driver gets a free dash cam and they start to also get some honey, you know, token earnings as well. And that's actually worked very effectively. Um, there's a guy in Chicago who's like just, you know, gotten deployed across many, many Ubers in the Chicago area because he tapped into the Venezuelan community you know, which is very, very strong there. And they're very involved in things like Uber and Lyft. And they just like started talking amongst themselves and would like share and be like, hey, by the way, you get a free dash cam. And oh, by the way, like, here's this thing. So there's like utility of the dash cam for them. How do I, so once I've accrued the honey tokens, how do I then turn that, what do I do with them? I can sell them and get actual money. Is that how it works? Or uh, what's the, what do I then yeah, there do are, with them? There, yeah, there are. Um, there's, I'm limited in terms of what I can say here uh, for legal reasons, but there are, you know, basically these token trading um, platforms called decentralized finance, where people are listing saying like, oh, I'm, I want to sell whatever, you know, thousand of my honey tokens. Um, and then they sell it for USDC, right? Okay. And so there is like a little bit of a marketplace around this where people can buy and sell honey tokens um so yes there that does exist okay um all right well this is fascinating man i mean it, it, what 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 i find so interesting here is like you know you've put all the pieces together into one coherent package of like the obviously the hardware the managing all the data the getting it out to the drivers and, and creating the model that incentivizes them um you know, I, I think that's all of these pieces have a bit, have kind of existed individually. You know, with the you know we had people like um, Appleary, you know, with the the hackers taking the pictures, and then you had you had OpenStreetMap guys out mapping, and but 
it's the combination that I think is quite interesting and compelling. Yeah. So. I mean, like, when you talk about OpenStreetMap for a second, I think, like, I, I mean, look, I used to be, like, a map editor. I was not, like, um, you know, I wasn't the kind of person who would do it, like, for hours, you know, every single day. But I would definitely, like, you know, jump in there on the weekends and kind of play around with it and, like, edit, you know, my little neighborhood and stuff like that. And so I, I definitely have an appreciation for it, like, a deep appreciation for what they've built there. I mean, it's amazing. I remember, like, back at, you know, when I was at Yahoo!, there's all these people kind of poo-pooing it, right? This is like 2006 timeframe. Yeah. And, you know, to see that they actually reach, you know, reach scale is pretty amazing, right? It's it's just this great reminder of like, you know, you think you're a big, you know, strong company and there's like this little, you know, project on the side that, you know, looks absurd um, that, you know what, like, you know, given enough time, um, they, they made something. So I think it's pretty amazing what they've done now. Look, I think the problem with OpenStreetMap is they're relying on third-party imagery from, you know, a whole bunch of providers, you know, mostly satellite providers, but also street-level imagery as well. But most of that imagery is dated, right? Because those providers are commercial providers and they're not providing OpenStreetMap with their freshest stuff, right? Because their freshest stuff is what they sell and that's what they monetize. So my whole thing has always been is like, OpenStreetMap is wrong oftentimes, not because the map editors are bad map editors, but because the imagery that they're actually editing upon or using to edit the map is just wrong. Right. Um, so, you know, if you have a collection fleet, then you can really target your editors in the right place. Um, and so I think that's really, really powerful um, to have like the entire, like, as you said, you know, you have the collection piece of it, you have the processing piece, the editing piece, and then ultimately all the APIs as well. Like you really have to have all three of those because they play off each other. Right. Um, and if you don't have one, then, you know, you, you're probably going to like just build a bad map or I, I should say build a map not as good as it should be. I, I think as someone who is active in OpenStreetMap and has been since the very beginning, you know, I think the OpenStreetMap community also needs to come to grips with the term that the technology has just moved on. I mean, you know, what, what you're describing of these this amazing hardware that can capture everything at the speed of a vehicle racing down the street, obviously that didn't exist 15 years ago when, when OpenStreetMap yeah. was was started. And, you know, so there will always be the, the need and the role for the on-the-ground mapper or the hobbyist, you know, the, the, the guy who's really passionate um, and, and maybe he's a hobbyist or maybe he's doing this as part of his job as some sort of local government or organization or whatever, and, and they're feeding into OpenStreetMap. But, it, you know, clearly we need to recognize there, there are new tools that can accelerate things dramatically. Yeah. And, you know, why yeah. not take advantage of them? So this is a, you know, yeah. a cultural shift. Yeah, I, that, I think there's like this, uh, there's always this tension, right? I, I I don't follow the, uh, I know there's a lot of drama. I mean, like all organizations, there's drama, um, but there's definitely like a whole set of drama in the OpenStreetMap community in terms of like, you know, you know how, how do we move forward here, right? Like how do we do more automated edits, right? Versus all human curated edits and all those types of there, things. There are many different so, views and, um, you know, just, just as the world is a diverse place, you know, the, the, there's a diverse views on this and, Probably the tools that are right in some areas are probably not the right ones in others, and the tools and techniques. So, yeah. unfortunately, I don't. I don't think we're going to solve that today <laughs> on, on yeah. this discussion. Yeah, I mean, I do think that the, the the 
my biggest issue with OpenStreetMap has been, I mean, like I obviously identified like one big issue in terms of just data quality. Um, but I think the the bigger issue is the fact that there are, you know, thousands upon thousands of organizations that are like many of them very wealthy organizations and businesses that use OpenStreetMap data and do not pay a dime. Sure. Right. And they're monetizing OpenStreetMap data. Like they are actually making money off of OpenStreetMap data and, and doing so legally. And, you know, the people who actually built this map have not seen a penny of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I don't know. I think that's that that leaves a really bad taste in my mouth, and I think that's wrong. I mean, I get there's some people in the OpenStreetMap community who, like don't don't care and like believe like all data should be like you know free and stuff like that. But I'm just like, you have to deal with the reality of where we're at today in terms of like there's these major corporations making a ton of money off of OpenStreetMap. Well, this I mean, this is this is a it's not OpenStreetMap. It's not unique to OpenStreetMap. It's open data in general and and open source software as well. You know, you can have variants of this discussion. So, um, yeah, there's no simple solution, right? I mean, as I said, there are many different views, and I I think I think the community will do best by embracing the fact that there are different views and different cultural norms, and that we need to accept that they're going to be different. There's more than one way to do it. Right. And, um, mm -hmm. and embrace new technologies, new models with, as long as it's towards the goal of let's all create a better map. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Anyway, Al, I, um, in the interest of kind of wrapping up, what, any final message you want to leave the listeners with, uh, about, about what you're doing and also, you know, how can, how can they learn more and how can they get involved if, if they're so inclined yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing, especially for the mapping community, is look, I'm I'm the first person. I'm not a, a crypto person. I came to crypto because I felt like the, it's an interesting technology for our specific use case. And so the thing I would ask of the mapping community is, um, you know, look, there's definitely been a lot, historically, there's been a lot of like what I would refer to as inappropriate scam slash scam slash fraud in the crypto you know, industry. And, um, but I think you have to look at every individual project and say, okay, how is this project specifically using crypto? And does it make sense, right, for what it's trying to accomplish in terms of building a better product and better service. And so if you come at it from that perspective, then I think many people would look at this and say, okay, look, um, this is actually utilizing crypto technology to advance and build a better map and to share with the economic benefits of with all the people who are helping build that map, right? And so, you know, to me, crypto is not a religion. It's simply a technology. Um, so that that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is like, look, we'd love it if you get involved, right? There's a lot, like if, even if you don't want to buy a dash cam, there's a lot of people who are kind of these fleet operators, who would, you know, if you drive a bunch, they would definitely like give you a dash cam for free. Um, and there's kind of like a group, you know, who are kind of helping facilitate that. But if you're so inclined, buy a dash cam, uh, start driving around with it, join our Discord community where there's a lot of people asking questions and stuff like that. I think there's like 8,000 people or something like that in our Discord community now. Um, and if, you're, if you don't want to buy a dash cam or you just don't drive a lot, you can also just edit the map. Right. So there's a lot of ways in which you can effectively train the AI from the comfort of your own home, you know, on a computer uh, or from your iPhone or Android device 
And then boom, you're effectively helping grow the map in that way as well. So there's kind of multiple ways to contribute uh, depending upon how much you drive or don't drive. Okay. Well, um, we'll, we'll get lots of links in the show notes then for people who want to check it out and dive in. And uh, yeah, congrats on what you've built, you and your team. And um, the, the, it's fascinating, as I said, to see that someone has put all the pieces together. Um, so definitely a project I'll be keeping an eye. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon.